Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight that we can come and study it. Uh, We ask you that you help us understand it, that we can apply it to our lives, that you can illuminate your scriptures to us today, Lord. Father, that everything that's here, all the treasure, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, Lord, that you have for us today, that we can use it and apply it and understand you more. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. So, if there was a theme for those that are taking notes, well, the title of, a, of this lesson is called Love Your Enemies. And if there's a theme to kind of summarize what we're going to be talking about today and the verses that we just read, you can write, True kingdom citizens do not retaliate against evildoers and love and pray for their enemies. True kingdom citizens do not retaliate against evildoers and love and pray for their enemies. So we're going to look at two specific instructions when it comes to personal relationships among kingdom, the citizens of this kingdom, right? And the first major point that we're going to talk about is to not retaliate, which is verse four through th- four thir- verses, verses 38 through 42. And here, Jesus is going to give us four examples of how not to retaliate. And the second major point is love and pray for your enemies. Okay? So, so far, we can categorize the Sermon on the Mount of what we learned thus far into three parts. The first part that we discussed was the one when I taught about a month ago, verses 1 through 11, the Beatitudes. And we remember that basically the Beatitudes are... Uh, true qualities of a kingdom citizen and the blessings of God from it. And we went into that and we learned about that. The second part that we've learned so far in the Sermon on the Mount is the relationships that these kingdom citizens should have with the world. And that was Brandon. And it was basically we're the light of the world and we should be salt to the world. Remember that one? After that, it was uh, Chris and Drew. And today we'll finalize Another section that we've been discussing, and it's about personal relationships among these citizens of the kingdom. All right? And the relationship today is that relationship of within retaliation and loving our enemies. So the first major point, a kingdom citizen does not retaliate. Uh, Verse 38 states, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is referring here to Exodus 21, verses 22 to 27. I'm going to read it quickly. If men struggle with each other and strike, meaning if they're fighting, and strike a woman with child who is pregnant so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge decides. But if there's any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty... Life for life, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. So what's going on here, okay? What's going on here is that at this point, he's going against something that Jewish tradition throughout the years changed. What God did say to something completely different to satisfy the needs or to satisfy the wants of the of the Jews of that time. Okay? So the verse is taken out of context, all right? 
the way that the Jews were looking at this is, oh, if somebody does something bad to me, it is biblical that I have to revenge. I have to take revenge and maybe equal revenge or more because it's in the law. I am a Pharisee. I follow the law by the book, so I have to do it. It's there, right? But the context under which Moses is giving this law is so that the punishment is not worse than the crime. That is the context of which Moses is giving this law. So if it's a petty crime, so whoever is the judge at the moment is not going to kill the person for a petty crime. The crime, the punishment has to be equal to the crime. Okay? So what would this look like today, like among you and your circumstances? I'm always going to use a lot of the sibling Examples, because basically you guys are with your siblings all the day, all the time, especially now in the summer. So it's basically if your sibling throws something at you, I don't know, a shoe, you know, your reaction is, I'm going to throw the shoe back or something even worse, right? The reaction that we sometimes take, right? You hit me, I hit you. It's just, it's what we do, right? But God is saying, Let's see, let's see what Jesus is going to say. So in the, his first example, he says, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Okay, so first things first. He says, but I say to you. So he's saying, you have heard, right? This rabbinic tradition that perverted God's law and scripture to kind of justify the actions of the self-righteous Jews of the time. He's saying, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, then turn to him also. So reading and uh, studying for this, there's a lot of, not controversy, there's kind of like two major um, interpretations of this verse. And to give you a context, the majority of these four examples that we're going to talk about deal with some sort of legal proceeding, right? In a legal context. We're going to see the other examples later. So one side said, well, the results of legal proceeding, therefore, getting hit and the specifically on the right cheek with the backhand, this is how it's translated in the Greek, is basically a form of insult to the person. If the person is insulted, by a slap in the cheek, okay, Jesus is telling him, do not retaliate, okay? A kingdom citizen will not retaliate, but give the other cheek, okay? So this, is, this, this context is worth of dignity, where I'm embarrassed in front of others, whether it's, it can be an embarrassment of a type of persecution from a government authority, all right? Or disco, uh, disco, uh, disco, discordia, um, a disagreement between neighbors. And he's saying, if that comes to be, do not turn the other cheek. Um, the same verb is used in Matthew 26, 67, right? They spat on his face and beat him with their fists and others slapped him. So kind of like that, when I, when I tell you it's the context of a, kind of like of a, a bigger picture of a government persecution or, or, or legal proceeding, is the context of where this right cheek is you're being hit. Therefore, you know, Jesus, while on his way to the cross, he never retaliated. He just took it, right? Now, the other question you might be asking is, so what if you do if you're physically hit, right? And it's not under the persecution 
or insult context, like a bully at school or like a sibling in your house, right? What do you do there? Well, there, I can't give you a definite answer because this is an issue of conscience, okay? This is something that you will talk to your parents about and decide what scriptures they use and what guiding principles they will use to see what you will do in your household when it comes to somebody hitting you and your reaction to it. I'm going to give you two sides. John 8, 59 uh, says, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And John 10, 39 says, Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So on one side, they're saying, Well, you don't really have to retaliate. If you get hit, try to stay away, get away from the situation, avoid it completely. You can take that avenue. And some people use that as, Okay, this is what we're going to do in our household. The other side, Exodus 22, verses 2 to 3 says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. What does this mean? Basically, is what he's saying is that if during the night someone comes in your house and you are defending your house and in that way, form of defending, the person dies... Because it's dark, you really don't have any other option. You don't know if they have a weapon or no weapon or nothing like that. You are free from that guilt. You're not guilty. However, if, there is, if this happens during the sun, meaning when there's daylight, then you will be guilty. Meaning, try to figure out a way to avoid taking someone's life. Okay? But, again, this is something that you have to talk to your parents about. And you discuss it at home. What would happen, mom or dad, if I'm in school and I get hit or my siblings or what is the, our response going to be based on the Bible? Okay, so, yes. Yeah, I'm, we can't, I'm not going to, it's a, it's a lot of what ifs, you know, again, please talk to your parents about that and whatever your parents decide based on biblical principles, you go ahead and do so, okay? So, again, um, what does this look like for us today, right? Insults, right, to you. Um, what if you're at school and somebody makes fun of you or insults you because of your Christianity, because of your beliefs? You know, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> Think about it. The whole purpose of us learning about this today, remember, what's the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? What's the purpose of John the Baptist? Remember what he's saying? He's preparing what? For the kingdom of heaven is here. Right? And Jesus is saying, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And to be part of this spiritual kingdom, this is how a kingdom, a citizen of this kingdom is to act. And, I'm, and he's basically revolutionizes the minds of the Jews at the time. He's saying, you, you've, done, you've heard this, but I say this. And this is pretty mind-boggling. You know, what do you do? Okay, what we look at, we, we, we look at the disciples and what they did, right? Let's read. Uh, um, we have examples of Stephen in Acts. When Stephen was before a council to defend his stance, he gave a great sermon. He preached it. He preached the gospel. And what did he get for it? He was stoned and killed. Right. 
And what did he say in Acts chapter 7, verse 60? Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Or what did Paul say to the Romans in Romans 12, verses 17 through 19? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far it is depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So you see, when you want to be part of this kingdom, it's a totally different kingdom than what we're used to. Because what we're used to is if they hit you, you hit back and you hit harder. Right? You're not going to get let anyone disrespect you. But in the context of persecution, it's way different. None of, the, none of the martyrs that we have in the Bible fought back. None of them created a retaliation or resistance or militia. None of them did. They were submissive to the government that was persecuting them. Because their interest was to glorify God even amongst persecution. Can, you, can we honestly say that we're ready for something like that? I'm going to give you some examples around the world of what people go through. But if you don't see the writing on the wall... It's, it's coming. It's just a matter of time. For those who hold the biblical standard of sexuality, if, to go against that, what June Pride Month and going against everything they have or whatever it is, that if you go against their standards, you're, you're, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're, it's hate crime, right? But we don't focus on what the standards of the world are. We focus on God's standards. Marriage between a male and a female. You know, what is... What is, what is in the Bible is what we follow. You will be persecuted for your beliefs. Many, many, many Christian organizations are deemed as hate groups for just having the stance of, of traditional marriage, right? So think about these things, right? What would happen? Would you, what would you do? Would you pray for your enemies like we're going to learn about later on? Let's continue. Second example. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. This is not about theft, guys. This is not about yo, somebody, come, somebody coming at the, and, at the street and just, hey, give me your shirt. Yeah, here, take my coat. No, that's not the context of this, okay? <laughs> the context of this verse is a legal proceeding, okay? In this case, the kingdom citizen kind of like messed up in a way, maybe, and he's being sued in court, right? So a Christian is being sued in court by somebody, right? So what's, what happens is that, let's say they don't have enough money to pay for this court fee or whatever. The Jewish law allowed for someone to, pay, to give their shirt. What is the shirt? The shirt is kind of like an undergarment. Kind of like it, it was a, like the undershirt that goes under the coat. Okay? And you might think, well, you know, that's nothing. Well, think about it. This is first century, you know, Israel. No one has a closet full of clothes like we do. That's a blessing. Barely, maybe had two shirts and maybe one coat or two. That's it. That's all they had of clothes, clothing. The, the majority, not if you were a king or, or royalty. But that's all you had. So if they took you to court for you did something wrong and they're suing you, don't got anything else, yeah, I'll sue you for your, your shirt. So Jesus is saying, well, if you're at court and they're suing you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. See, in Exodus uh, chapter 22, verse 26, it says, If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return to it to him before the sun sets. For that is only 
for that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? Okay, so legally, the coat was something that you could not give. Right? You were able to keep. The sh under the coat, you could give. The coat, the law protected you, you had to keep it. But what Jesus is saying is, if somebody's suing you for your shirt, give them also your coat. What does that mean? He's saying, I want for other people to know to never have a sour taste of the kingdom of God. I want them to see this kingdom as a great kingdom, as a loving kingdom. And if you are part of this kingdom, I don't want you to give or leave that sour taste on somebody else's. So not only are you going to give them the shirt, but you're going to restitute them and you're going to give them your coat. This is a, this is a leap of faith here, right? Because barely you don't know anything. But what happens later on in Matthew 6 when Jesus is talking and preaching about not worrying, right? He says in Matthew 6, verse 33, but, I, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Food, shelter, clothing. He takes care of you. You just have to worry about doing his business, right? Your prayers every morning when you pray, Lord, let me do your business first. Let me take care of your things first. And when you do these things, God says that he will provide for you all your needs. Not wants, but needs will be provided. Okay? So... Understand that for Jesus, it's more important that people know that the kingdom of heaven is a glorious kingdom. And for him, it's more important for his kingdom to have a good name than you. Amen. So what does this look like in our real life, right? Let's say you received detention for excessive talking at school. The normal thing to do is what? Accept it. Without an attitude, right? Say you're sorry and serve it, right? But the Christian thing to do or the citizen of heaven thing to do would be what? To maybe go after school and to the teacher and go off, hey, you know, you need help filing or maybe, you know, cleaning your room. You don't want that teacher. And especially the teacher knows that you're a believer and other people know that you're a believer, right? I don't know about you, but I take that very seriously. I, I, I. Even though we're sinners and we're going to, you know, sin, right? But to give God a bad name, to say that you are a believer and act a way that's so ungodly, that's, it's a very, very, not scary thought, but it's a, I don't want to ever disappoint the Lord in that way, right? Because if I mess up, I mess up. But if I mess up, people are going to see me, oh, he's a Christian, look at him, and then it's all of a sudden, it's the kingdom I represent, it's more than me. Or you had a disagreement with a sibling. You were fighting over the remote control. I know that never happens here. And, you know, someone got, you got, one, the other got in trouble. You said something horrible to the other person and, and your sibling and your parents punish you. The normal thing to do is what? Say sorry. Okay, I'm sorry, bro. Or sorry, sis, whatever. But you know what the Christian thing to do? Maybe offer them the control remote for the rest of the week. Hey, look, I'm really sorry for the way I treated you. You just, you got the control for the rest of the week. Right? I know, I know all of us do that here. I'm just giving you examples of what it would look like in real life for us. Let's go to the, yes. It's like, just, just think that you're wearing a t-shirt that says I'm a Christian on the back of it. Just like big letters. Yeah. <laughs> example three. The third example. Whoever forces, verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This is literally not about, oh, I want to go running for a mile. Can you come with me and let's run too? 
This is not that context. The context of this verse is the following. See, the same Greek verse that is used here, the same Greek verse that is used here was the same one that was used by Simon of Cyrene when he was forced to carry the cross. It was given by an authoritative figure, the Roman soldiers. Okay? The context is basically the Roman soldiers at the time had the right to tell civilians to carry their weapons for a mile at a time. Maybe they were tired, the sun is up, they need to go from point A to point B. They have, legal, they have legally the right to do so, to ask a civilian, carry my weapons for me. So Jesus is telling, you know, the people that is, you know, are listening to him, you know, if they tell you to go one mile, you're not just going to go one mile because that's the right thing to do. You're going to go two miles. I want you to bring me glory. I want people to see you. And when they see you, say, what's different about them? It's the Christ that lives in you that's different. Imagine how shameful it must have been for a Jew to do that. Not only are you having to carry the weapons that are literally threatening you every day under submission because they're in charge of you. They're in control over you, right? You have to carry them for not a mile, but two. What, is, what does that look like here? What, what, would, what, what would an example of that be? Yeah, okay. Yes? Getting paid to move river rocks per hour and telling them that you'll keep going. Okay. Um, uh, I was more thinking like, you know, I guess you disobeyed your parents. They told you to take out the trash, right? And then, you know, you took the trash out. You know, oh, you forgot. They punished you. and say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. You take out the trash and maybe, what's going the extra mile? You clean the bin, right? The inside dirty bin that smells and has maggots all over the place and... You know, the idea, the idea is going extra. It's, it's showing your parents that you're really, truly sorry. You're going the extra mile. You're not just doing what they're telling you to do. You're going above and beyond. So when they ask you, uh, guys, uh, son or daughter, please clean your room. Yes, mom and dad, I'm going to clean my room with joy. But not only with joy, not only with joy, literally with joy. But guess what? Hey, mom and dad, you know, I clean my room, but I also clean the bathroom. See, that is going the extra mile. That is showing that you are from a different kingdom. You are a rare commodity, no, rare, rare, rarity to see that. Eventually, when you start working, okay, I'm going to give you some application as well towards the end. But the idea is that the idea is to bring glory to God. And to take it away from ourselves so that others can see this kingdom that he has to offer. Last example, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Again, within the context of retaliation, within the context of government proceedings, legal proceedings, the verse is probably telling them if someone that you had problems with is in need of help, if someone, if the person that sued you or the Roman soldier that asked you to go for a mile, if, the, if they're or the person that, you know, disrespected your dignity and slapped you for, for a disrespectful, if they need help and if they ask, do it. Don't withhold. This is not about you walking your normal life and everybody, oh, I need help. And then you have to, help. oh, I need help. And then, no, that's not the context. That's not what he's saying. Because 
People can take advantage of that, right? Oh, look, the Bible tells you to help me, and I'm asking you the money. You better give it to me. Oh, and then today and tomorrow, and it's like, no. The Bible also says that if you don't work, being capable, you're worse than an unbeliever. That's Brandon's favorite verse. Right? So that context of, and, and by the way, aren't you relieved to understand the real meaning of these verses? I grew up with literally bring, interpreting these verses literal. A lot of pain and suffering I would have avoided, especially when I was in middle school. But I think now that I understand what he was trying to say in the context of retaliation when it comes to legal proceedings or persecution. What does that look like? Well, let's say if someone... Let's say a bully, someone you're being bullied in school. Obviously, the precautions for bullying is tell your teachers, tell your principals, tell your parents. That's that's what you do. But let's say the bully asks you for paper one day. Yes, this guy bullies me now. He asks me for paper. Go ahead. The, the, the right thing to do is to do it, right? But the Christian thing to do is what? Next time you're in Walmart with your mom and dad, hey, you know, mom and dad, do you think we can buy a pack of paper? And then, you know, that's just I want to have it in my book bag. And then at school, when he asks you for paper, or you just randomly go, hey, man, I know the other day you needed paper, but I bought you this pack of paper. See, you know what? The, two things are going to happen. The bully's going to say, thank you. And just, or he's going to be like, hold on a second. I bully you. Like, I really treat you bad, and you are treating me good. How, what, how does that even make sense? The Bible says it's like putting cold, hot colds in people's mind. It just doesn't make sense. But that's the kingdom of God. I want to read you a quote. I'll read it later. It's too far down. Okay. So, any questions so far on our, the first part of our, of our lesson? Of the four examples that we have of not retaliating as a citizen of this kingdom, of this godly kingdom. Okay? So, now we're going to go into the second bullet point, the second major point which is a kingdom citizen loves and prays for his enemies. A kingdom citizen loves and prays for his enemy. So in verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, meaning this rabbinic tradition, getting God's word, Torah, law out of context to a, kind of apply and justify the lies, the, the, the selfish and self-righteous lies of the Jews that were living at the time. He's saying, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what the real teaching of the law states. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Guys, nowhere in the Bible does it state to hate your enemy other than the context of the battlefield, right? You have passages like Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. So notice the perversion of what happened. First of all, they omitted what from love your neighbor? What did they omit? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What did they omit from you shall love your neighbor? Yes. As yourself. That's a pretty big omission. Why would they omit that? 
Because it's easy to love somebody, but as yourself and an enemy? No. Right? Because then they would be like, oh, it's in the law. I have to hate my enemy because it's in the law, right? I have to, I have to do it. It's nowhere in the law, right? And then he adds the enemy part, right? So why do they do this? Obviously to try to uphold their self-righteousness, right? Something that Jesus was constantly confronting them on. You know, how could they love anyone more than themselves if they were so good? Basically. This is what MacArthur states. The scribes and Pharisees were proud, prejudiced, judgmental, spiteful, hateful, vengeful men who masqueraded as the custodians of God's law and the spiritual leaders of Israel. To them, Jesus' command to love your enemies must have seemed naive and foolish in the extreme. They not only felt that they had the right, but the duty to hate their enemies. Not to hate those who obviously deserve to be hated would be a breach of righteousness. So you see how it's in their benefit? Can you imagine if I tell you, of course, it's in the law. Yo, if your brother hit your sister, hit him back. That feels good because it's you're our sin, right? But we have a new nature in Christ as a kingdom of this, of this, of this, as a citizen of this kingdom. It's totally different. So the Pharisees were trying to justify their self-righteousness, their lifestyle by perverting God's word to something that it wasn't. But what does Jesus say in verse 44? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love my enemies? And not only love them, but pray for them? You know what he says, but I say is the authority. He's coming with his authority. We talked about this previously. You know, usually teachers of the law in Judaism would quote what? The Torah. Would quote the Jewish Bible. The Septuagint. They would quote that. That was there. But he's not, he's saying, but I say to you. All right? You've been, you've been led by false teachers. With my, with my authority, I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why should you pray? Why should you pray for somebody who is persecuting you? Why? That's a rhetorical question. Sorry. This is, I read an article. This is uh, basically getting a little bit of what persecution around the world looks like today. A woman in India watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister is alive or dead. Can you imagine, just for one second, we're meeting here, government officials come inside here, they take away your sibling, right now. And it's been maybe two months and you still don't know where they are. This happens in India. Today, a man in North Korea in a North Korean prison camp is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. After, he's wake, he's, after he wakes up again, he be, he's beating until he's unconscious, and so forth and so on. A woman in Nigeria runs for her life. She has escaped from Boko Haram, which is like a, a terrorist group that controls part of the country, who kidnapped her. She is pregnant, and when she returns home, her community will reject her and her baby. A group of children are laughing and talking as they come down to their church's sanctuary after eating together. Instantly, many of them are killed by a bomb blast. It's Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. All for being a believer in Christ. All for being a believer in Christ. On Sunday, we have a lunch after church, right? For our, the, the exciting things that God is doing and the doors that he's opening. Can you just imagine for a second 
Yeah, a bomb, half of the church dies just by being, for being Christian. And Jesus is saying, pray for them. You know why we've got to pray for them? Everyone open your Bibles, put, turn to Acts chapter 9. Verse 5. This is Saul, which is Paul speaking. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. You know why we pray? Because that's what God tells us to do. And because he, at the end, will take all the glory. He will take persecutors like, the, like Saul and make great men of God out of them. The Apostle Paul saw when Stephen was dying. He approved of it. The Apostle Paul would go around meetings where Christians were dragging families, separating them from, from each other. Yet this is the man that God used from Acts 13 to 28 to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Basically, all of us can thank Paul for preaching and spreading the word that reached all the way to where we are today. But he was a persecutor of the church. You know why we pray for our enemies? Because they're sinners just like we were at one point in time. And just because we don't persecute people doesn't mean that we're better. Because under the eyes of God, what's the standard? We're going to talk about it later. Perfection. And none of us, if all of us fall short of that. That is why we pray for our enemies. This is the quote I want you to read. A commentator writes, to return evil for good is devilish. Meaning if you just do bad things to good people for any reason, it's devilish, right? To return good for good is human. But to return good for evil is divine. That's only something that the Holy Spirit living within you can give you the strength to do. If you are a citizen, if you are truly a citizen of his kingdom, you have him in you, indwelling within you, to give you the strength to do so. Which leads us to what Jesus says next. So that you may be what? Sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Again, you will be sons of your father who is in heaven. This is, this is, this is our father, our king. This is how our king acts. And our king is telling him, you are to act like I act. Because if I, being God, who can strike evil in the moment like Sapphira and Ananias, dead, for, you know, sinning against me, if I, who are holy, send what? The rain and the sun for the righteous and unrighteous. If I have common grace, if I love my enemy, who are you not to love your enemy? Who are you not to pray? If I, the holy God of the universe, do so, I'm, I'm going to take his word for it. And I'm, I'm going to follow what he says. 
guys, what he's saying is, look at, well, who are the tax collectors? We know they were what? Jewish citizens who were hired by the Romans to do what? To collect their taxes. And how were the tax collector getting paid? He would charge them a little more so he, and would go in his pocket. And a lot of the, the majority of these tax collectors, what do they do? They abuse of this power. So the Jews hated the tax collectors. Yet, what does he say? For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. They do the same. What difference is it between you and it? So Jesus is literally telling the Pharisees, you are just like a tax collector. The Pharisees are like, what? No, yeah, me? Yes, you. Jesus loved to do that, to, to show their hypocrisy, to show our hypocrisy today. And he ends it with saying, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Therefore, you are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The standard that God demands for our lives to live is what? Perfection. You will never get there. It's impossible. We strive for it. We want to be like it. But we fall short always. Our own righteousness will never be good enough for God. As citizens of his kingdom, we need to strive the best we can with the power of the Holy Spirit to follow his commands. And this leads people to see the conditions of sinners in need of a Savior. When you say that I want to be part of this kingdom, but I can't do what you're saying, Jesus. There's good news. See, many of you think that you're a good person. That you're not as bad as the other. If you die today and God asks you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would be your response? It's rhetorical. The majority of people respond, I am a good person. I am not as sinful as the other. I deserve heaven. Well, we know that that's not enough because what's the standard? Perfection. We all fall short of the glory of God. I believe in God. Oh, the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. And they're going to eternal, to the lake of fire forever. See, the answer is not because of I, but because of him. Because of what he did on the cross. That is the good news. That even though we are not perfect and we fall short of the glory of God, he, God, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to make us right with God. He died on the cross. He resurrected on the third day, which signifies that God was pleased with his sacrifice. And the Bible says, the only I hear is that you repent from all your sins and put your faith only in Jesus. The Bible says if you do this, he is willing and able to forgive you. Don't leave today without knowing your condition before a holy God, before making him Lord of your life. If you have any other questions about that, please talk to a leader after, okay? We're more than happy to talk on a one-on-one -on -one basis with you with this. But that's great news, that he died on the cross for our sins. Lastly, see, the reason why God is sharing between 
Mr. Teagle's lesson, between Mr. Drew's lesson, between this lesson today, relationships, how to live and how to relate with other people as a citizen of this kingdom. Because he wants to distinguish those who are from his kingdom than from the world. He wants to distinguish them for his glory. Because what is God doing? He's redeeming a people for himself. And in his grace, we play a part in that. So Christians should be noticed on the job because what? They are the most honest, most considerate. Christians should be noticed in their communities because they are more helpful and caring. Christians should be noticed anywhere in society they happen to be because the love they exhibit, they exhibit is a divine love. Goes above and beyond. Makes people think, this, this person is crazy. How could they do it? So they say, why do you do the things that you do? It's for you to say, because I have Christ. Because Christ is in me. Because I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I represent the King of Kings. I represent His kingdom. When you have that joy and that peace in the midst of all this trouble that you're going through. See, what, how does that even make sense, right? When we're looking through Philippians. A family member passed away. A, a, a deadly sickness that you have. And, and people have a peace and a joy that only God can give. Well, that's because you're part of His kingdom. See, when Brandon talked about how do you shine? How, do you, how, are you, how, are, how are you to be the salt of the earth? How are you to shine? This is how you shine. Let your light shine before men, Jesus had already said, in such a way that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us today. To not retaliate, to love and pray for our enemies. Prepare our hearts, Father, for that day if it comes. Give us the strength, Holy Spirit, to stand firm in your word. To help and to love our enemies and to show your love to others. Thank you for your word that you give us, your amazing word. That you give us the instructions, Lord, to live this life. Thank you, God. I pray for each and every young person here, Lord, that whatever we learn today, that they can apply it to their hearts, that they can meditate it, that they can renew their mind with their word, that you sanctify them, O oh God, through your word. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. As we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, you're consistently seeing that theme of, yes, we're called to live lives individually as followers of Christ, but how so much of this interconnects with how we love one another and serve one another. You just instantly think about how when Jesus is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love people. Like you love God faithfully and you love people. Jesus is really fleshing out for us those two greatest commandments here. And like Alejandro said, uh, what are you going to say when God asks you, why should I let you in? One day, that is no longer going to be a rhetorical question. Like, one day, and who knows when that day is, could be five minutes from now, could be 80 years from now. But one day, that's going to be the only question that matters. And what I would really just encourage you guys, like Alejandro said, 
talk to leaders, we'll be setting up these small groups, but like I want you to feel safe asking hard questions and thinking about